welcome to Sunday School for Heathens. The show where we learn about Christianity and how weird it sounds to everyone else. I'm Shannon. And I'm Brian. I'm not a priest and I do not have a degree in theology. I'm just the kind of guy who gets sidetracked talking about liturgical music with my therapist. <laughs> I have something witty to say after the facts about Brian, but this week I don't. I just have to laugh. We do. We we once had a conversation where we were nervous that we might end up at the same concert. <laughs> and we're like, hmm, how would we interact to sing each other in public? <laughs> That's great. Wait, does your therapist listen to the show? No, I don't think so. It would be great if they did. And, unless you do, and then in which case, hi, Steve. <laughs> <laughs> hi, Steve. <laughs> who knows? I'm glad that you have a therapist who has similar tastes in liturgical music though see it's a problem though because then we just geek out together and don't actually talk about anything that i'm paying him to talk about yeah i guess that's right (laughs) but i feel like you have such specific tastes that having a therapist that understands your taste is probably helpful i mean he's a priest so (laughs) also fair All right, well, I'm not sure we're actually talking about liturgical music this week, unless we are. We're not, although that might happen at some point. Sure, we'll add it to the list. (laughs) So this week I decided, because there has been a lot going on with people trying to control and oppress women in the name of religion, so I decided that we're just going to talk about a couple badass women today. (laughs) (gasps) you That's like the best present you could ever give me. Badass Women in Religion, the podcast. That is this week. I love it. Specifically, our episode is just going to be straight up the book of Judith. Great. I have heard about this, but I don't really know anything about it. Yeah, so we talked briefly about Judith when Megan came on. Yeah, exactly. But honestly, she's so cool that she deserves her own episode. Talking about Judith, but like also Megan is very cool. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure that Megan is now a little jealous that we did this episode without her. Whatever, Megan's fine. Yeah. She can come back some other time and talk about Judith. <laughs> so, Book of Judith, interesting. Not part of the Hebrew biblical canon. Okay. It's included in the Septuagint, which is the Greek version of the Hebrew Bible. Okay. And because Greek was widely spoken in the early Christian world... The Septuagint is what got used in Christian worship when they were first getting started. That makes sense. So when it came time to put together the Christian biblical canon, Judith and the other deuterocanonical books got included. Sure. And then during the Protestant Reformation, people started looking back at the Hebrew Bible and saw that, hey, these books aren't in here. And so they decided to toss them. And they referred to them as the Apocrypha. So that is all to say... Judith is in Catholic and Orthodox Bibles, um, especially Ethiopian Orthodox, which has literally everything. Like, if anyone is like, maybe we want to include this, they do. Great. (laughs) Good to know that there's a completionist somewhere amongst them. (laughs) But not included in the Jewish or Protestant canon. Great. But it comes historically in the chunk with the Hebrew Bible. Yes. Like, if you're looking at the order... Where it is, it's going to be in the Hebrew Bible part of the Old Testament part of the Bible. Sure. I was unsure how how the terminology worked with that because it's not part of the Hebrew Bible. So I guess it's just, it's part of the Old Testament. Great. (laughs) This is when we use the phrase Old Testament. That's what I'm going with. I like it. (laughs) Uh, On a weird note, St. Jerome 
translated the Bible into Latin in the 4th century. And he did it... (laughs) He translated the book of Judith all in one night. And you can tell. Yeah. Does it just get weirder and ramblier as he goes? It's, there's just a lot of errors. Like, people's names change. It's not good. You're like, Jerome, go buddy. to bed or have another cup of coffee. But whatever you're doing right now, stop it. Yeah, buddy, care either more or less about Judith. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it says something that he liked it enough that he just kept going. He said that it was agreed upon at the Council of Nicaea that it would be included, but there's no record of that. So I don't really know. (laughs) So he was like pushing a deadline? Sure. I I don't know. (laughs) We're not here to like have a chat with St. Jerome. Yeah. Oh man, but wouldn't that be fun? It's true. (laughs) I was listening to another podcast, Stuff You Missed in History Class today, and one of their hosts was talking about really bad uses for a time machine. And I feel like really bad uses for a time machine is to go back and... Tell St. Jerome to go to bed. Yeah. Really great use for a time machine is going to hang out with Simeon. Sure. Yeah. Great <laughs> use for a time machine. <laughs> so, buddy, why a pillar? <laughs> Talk to me about this pillar. <laughs> but anyway, that's why some Bibles have Judith, some don't. Cool. And then there's also some debate about when the book was written. It's written as a historical record of events from about the 11th century BCE. Okay. But there are numerous chronological and historical errors, partly because of Jerome. Sure. But also just in other sources, there are yeah. there are inconsistencies. So a lot of historians are skeptical of this. Has anyone tried retranslating it from the Greek, or do we not have the yeah. Greek version anymore? Absolutely, people have tried uh, translating it from, from the Greek, and which is how you know that Jerome is the one who kind of screwed up. Great. And then I think there are some additional Hebrew sources that exist. Mm-hmm. They're not considered canon sure. but with the, the rest of the, the Hebrew Bible. But there are at least a couple of times where things that are mentioned in the book of Judith are mentioned in other non-canonical texts that are like, hey, this thing happened. Yeah. And there, so there's actually, there's other stories that are similar to the story of Judith in the Hebrew Bible such as the story of Jael in the Book of Judges. And then there's some Midrash stories that we know were written around the same time. Mm -hmm. And so that theory says that Judith was written around the 6th century BC. Okay. Which, that's plenty of time that it it would make sense that there would be some inconsistencies there. Yeah. Because that's five centuries. Yeah. The other theory is that it was written in the 2nd century BC, shortly after the end of the Maccabean Rebellion. Okay. And that, according to that theory, Judith is meant as a female counterpart to Judah Maccabee. Sure. And in this theory, the book was purely fiction written by a Palestinian Jew to encourage their people in an uneasy political time. Okay. So it's more of like a comforting story. Yeah. And, you know, I feel comforted by Judith because she's so cool. Great. So now the entire rest of the episode is just going to be her story. I tried my best to cut it down, but... It's an entire book of the Bible. Yeah. So this is just story time with Brian. This is just story time. I love it. (laughs) Tell me the story of Judith, Brian. Here we go. The book begins by telling us that these are events that take place in the 12th year of the rule of King Nebuchadnezzar. He was a powerful king and he had many people allied to him. And we're told exactly how big his wall is. Because that seems important to bad guys. Sure. (laughs) There... 
were also many peoples who did not ally with King Nebuchadnezzar. He sent ambassadors to them, and they sent the ambassadors back empty-handed. Okay. This made the king furious, and he swore to destroy all of the cities that dared to defy him. He summoned the general-in-chief of his armies, his uh, second-in-command, Holofernes, and he told him to gather 120,000 foot soldiers and 12,000 cavalrymen. Okay. And they were to go and seek out the cities that had defied him. If they surrendered, they were to be taken captive and await punishment, and that was the mercy. Sure. If they resisted... Their cities were to be destroyed and all of the people slaughtered. Okay. So this army gathered up vast numbers of camels, donkeys, and mules, and each man was given gold, silver, and rations. And off they went. Off to destroy or capture as many cities as possible. Basically, yeah. And, like, probably traveling very slowly because they had a lot of animals and gold. Yeah. And also probably siege engines. Do they have siege engines? I don't know. Okay. This is not a military history podcast. Sure. <laughs> I just don't know when siege engines were invented. I have no idea, but there is a, a siege later. Don't Great. worry. Cool. <laughs> they slaughtered many peoples as they worked their ways across the land and took thousands of captives. So now they're moving really slow. They are. They've got a lot of people with them. It's like a roving city. Basically, yeah. So some of the cities further west heard of this destruction because it was taking a long time. Yeah. And they sent representatives out to beg for peace. They welcomed Holofernes into their towns with garlands and tambourines and promised to be servants of Nebuchadnezzar. Apparently, Holofernes was not a fan of tambourines. Oh no! Sorry, Linda. (laughs) (laughs) But that didn't matter, and all of their shrines and sacred trees were destroyed because he didn't like the tambourines. That's not why. I don't know. Because he he was a jerk. Because he's a jerk. Sure. (laughs) Finally, the army arrives at a village across from the Great Ridge of Judea. The Israelites had heard that Holofernes was headed their way, and they were terrified, especially because they had just escaped captivity. Sure. So they fortified their villages, and they gathered up all the supplies from the most recent harvest, and the great high priest, Joachim, ordered the people to move up to the high mountain passes Because the narrowness would make it easier to halt attacking force. Sure. Because they could only come up the mountain passes one or two at a time. Yeah. And then all of the people, the men, women, and children, lay prostrate in front of the temple with ashes on their heads and they prayed to God for deliverance. And in my head is playing, deliver us. Sure. Prince of Egypt. Yeah. So Holofernes, he heard that the people were preparing for war because they had moved up into a defensive position, and he was furious. And he asked who these people were. Ankior, leader of the Ammonites, told him about these people and their god who protected them. He really, like, played up how great this god was, and that really pissed off the army. Great. The only thing that Holofernes likes less than tambourines is other people's gods? I guess. Sure. Jerk. Not Not a good guy. No. They bound Ankior and they tossed him at the base of the Israelites' camp and just said, your fate is now bound up with them. Good luck, my bud. But instead of immediately killing him, the Israelites welcomed him in and they listened to his story to get whatever information they could from him. Sure. Good for them. Yeah. And then the whole town prayed that God would punish the army's arrogance. On the other side, Holofernes' army began to prepare for an attack. But then the chieftains of the sons of Esau 
told him that they had a plan. Instead of risking their men in battle, they would just block the water source. Let the Israelites die of thirst. Sure. Smoke them out. Yeah. So, siege. Here we go. Yeah. With or without siege engines. We don't know. Probably hard to bring siege engines up a mountain pass, but... Might be. Even if they had invented them. Yeah. Holofernes loved this idea. And so the siege began. 34 days in, every water jar was empty, and the people were growing weak with thirst. They began to beg the leaders to deliver them over to Holofernes, because it would be better than this. One of the leaders, Uzziah, told them to hold on just a little longer and wait five days, and then God would either deliver them in five days or they would surrender. Okay. And the people grumbled but accepted. And so now we go to another part of town where a woman named Judith heard about this five-day deadline. Sure. Judith was a widow. Her husband had died in the harvest three years and four months ago, and she had been mourning ever since. Okay. She lived in an upper room that she had built in her house and dressed in sackcloth and widow's weeds and never left. Okay. She fasted every day except for Sabbath Eve, the Sabbath itself, the Eve of the New Moon, the Feast of the New Moon, and the joyful festivals of the House of Israel. Okay. Most of the time, but like... Yeah. Still very clearly following the law not to... Yeah. Not to fast otherwise. Yeah. She was widely known for being a very devout woman, and no one could say anything bad about her, because she was just great. Sure. <laughs> she was also known for being very charming and very, very beautiful. When she heard all the people were suffering and how Uzziah had proposed this five-day deadline, she sent two servants to go get two of the elders. When they had arrived, she asked them, Who are you to put God to the test today? You of all people to set yourselves above him. You put the Lord Almighty to the test. You do not understand anything and never will. Oh my god. She just lays the smack down. She is feisty. Yeah. <laughs> and then she gives this rousing speech about how God had been with their ancestors and he would be with them, but they needed to stand strong because if they fell, all of the people would be killed and the temple would be destroyed. The men responded, you're right, but we're really scared of these thirsty people, so we gave in. <laughs> and then they told her that she should pray to God that he will make it rain, and then that gets us all out of this. Yeah. Judah said, oh, I'm going to do something all right, and people are going to talk about it for generations. And here we are. <laughs> we Yes, we are still talking about it. Yep. She told them that she was going to leave the city that night with her attendant. And she wouldn't tell them how, but she was going to save them all before the five days were up. Yeah. They said, uh, sure. <laughs> the Lord be with you. And then they went back to their posts. Yeah. They're like, I don't, we don't want to know the details. Yeah. All right, something is happening. So after they left, Judith threw herself to the ground and prayed for God to bring vengeance upon the invaders. Then Judith took off her sackcloth. She washed, and she anointed her head with perfumes, did up her hair, put on her fanciest dress, and put on her necklaces, bracelets, rings, earrings, and all of her jewelry. And she made herself beautiful enough to beguile any man. Just yeah. A good line. Yeah. <laughs> I like that. And then she and her servant gathered up the supplies and headed off. The men saw them on the way out and were blown away by how hot she looked. <laughs> They're like, who is that? <laughs> they all prayed a little bit, and the women were allowed to head on their way again. Sure. <laughs> when they made it to the valley, they were intercepted by the Assyrians and asked what they were doing. Judith told them, I'm on my way to see Holofernes, the general of your army, 
to give him trustworthy information. I shall show him the road to take if he wants to capture all of the hill country without losing one man. The men were honestly too distracted by how hot she was to really listen. <laughs> Great. <laughs> but they eventually figured it out and took her up to camp, telling her that they would definitely save her. <laughs> sure. If anything happens, I got you. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. <laughs> They've been, it's been a bunch of dudes traveling the desert for a, a long, long time. time. <laughs> a crowd gathered as they approached Halifernie's tent, and the men whispered, Man... If all of the Israelites' women look like that, we're in trouble. If one gets away, she could have the whole world wrapped around her finger. Yeah! (laughs) (laughs) Finally, she was able to enter the tent, and she saw Halfernes lounging on his bed under a canopy of purple and gold, studded with emeralds and precious stones. Because he's a jerk. Yes. Very fancy jerk. Very fancy jerk. All of the attendants' jaws dropped. Yep. Because, again... Just so everyone's aware, Judith is really hot. Yeah. Because, <laughs> again, she's super hot. She's really hot. <laughs> she knelt down as a sign of respect, but the servants lifted her to her feet. And Holofernes told her not to worry, because he would never harm anyone who came to honor King Nebuchadnezzar. And if her people had just relented, he wouldn't have put them under siege. This was really all their fault. And then he asked why she had decided to flee from her people. She started off with flattery telling him how amazing him and the king were, and all of the soldiers. And then she went on to tell him that her people were protected by their god, but soon they would not be. She had heard that they were planning on eating their tithes and offering what was supposed to be given to the priests, because they were desperate. On the day that they did this, God would no longer protect them, and Holofernes could take them easily. So she said that part of... This was that she had to be allowed to go pray every night so that God could tell her when the sins had been committed so that she could pass it on to him and let him know when to attack. Mm-hmm. Holofernes loved this plan. Nobody had to die. He was all set. He'd get everything and not have to worry about it. Yeah. And he praised her for being so well-spoken and so hot. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> and then he had a great feast laid out for them. But Judas refused, saying her god wished her to eat her own rations. Alphernes then asked what she would do when those rations ran out. She responded, Oh, god will have used me to accomplish my plans before these run out. Great. Ominously. <laughs> Ominously. You have to remember that she's had three years and four months of practice fasting. <laughs> Alphernes just shrugged and went back to eating. Sure. <laughs> After dinner, Judith was taken to her own tent to sleep. In the early, early morning, so before the sun had come up, she went out to pray for God to guide her in her plan. She went back to her tent and stayed there all day. And this went on for three more days. Sure. So now we've got two days until the five-day deadline. Mm -hmm. On the fourth day in the evening, Holofernes invited her for dinner with just him and a few attendants. He had told his men, we'll be disgraced if we let a woman like this go without seducing her. If we don't seduce her, everyone's going to laugh at us. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) So he's going to try to seduce her. Yeah. She came into his tent for dinner and he was smitten. They ate and drank and he was so distracted by her that he just kept drinking and drinking and drinking more than he ever had in his life. The servants were also a little distracted and also had been drinking. Yeah. 
And late in the evening, they all bowed out, happy to stumble into their beds. So this left Judith alone with just her servant and Holofernes, who at this point had collapsed onto his bed sure. in a drunken stupor. He is really bad at seduction. Very bad. Really good at drinking. Really bad at seduction. She, he was just nervous. Yeah. She's too pretty. <laughs> and apparently he's never seduced anyone before. Apparently. I don't know. Yeah. Very bad at this. Very bad at this. <laughs> don't don't ask him for, for advice. Yeah. <laughs> Judith sent her servant outside. And after the servant had left, Judith prayed to God for strength. And then she went over to Holofernes' bedside and grabbed his sword. She grabbed his head by the hair and cried out, Make me strong today, Lord God of Israel. And then she struck his neck twice with all her might and chopped off his head. Yeah! And then she carried the head by the hair yep. out to her maid and put it in the food bag. Sure. Because they were out of rations. They were out of rations. They're very convenient. Yep. By then, it was almost morning. So the two calmly walked out into the valley to pray as they had done each morning. Mm-hmm. Only this time... They just kept walking. They walked all the way back to the city gates and called out for them to be opened. The people opened the gates and welcomed them. And then Judith raised her voice and said, Praise God, praise him. Praise the God who has not withdrawn his mercy from the house of Israel, but has shattered our enemies by my hand tonight. And she pulled the severed head out of the bag for all to see. Yeah! She also made sure to let everyone know that it was just her face that had seduced him. That she had never gotten naked. (laughs) Yes. That nothing bad had happened, just her face. Very important. (laughs) Uzziah blessed her and asked God to hold her in a place of high honor. And all the people said, Amen. But Judith was not quite ready to celebrate just yet. She told the men to quickly go and hang the head up on the battlements. Yeah. And then she told the army that they should march on the Assyrian army at first light. And the Assyrians, when they saw the, the army approaching them, they would go to wake their leaders. And they would panic and flee when they found Holofernes dead. Next, she asked that Ankior, from back earlier, our mm-hmm. buddy who made his way into town, yep. be brought to her. And when he saw the head of Holofernes, he fell to the ground and praised God. At this point, Judith gathered the crowd around her and she told her whole story of how she had accomplished the feat. And everyone cheered. And in that moment, Ankir was so grateful that he converted, agreed to be circumcised, and was accepted into the house of Israel. Adorable. Yeah. Nice little conversion story. Yeah. Now cut to the, the Assyrians. They saw the Israelites marching towards them in the early morning light. One of the officers went to wake Holofernes. He knocked on the tent pole, thinking that he didn't want to interrupt. Yeah. Assuming he was sleeping with Judith. But no one answered. So he cautiously made his way in and discovered the body. Headless. Yeah. He cried out in shock and began to weep and call for the others. Then they went to Judith's tent and they saw that she wasn't there and they realized what had happened. They began to tear their tunics in fear and anger. And as the panic set in, they all began to flee and the Israelites took up the chase. Uzziah sent messengers to all of his allies all across the lands to track down the fling invaders and slaughter them all until no man was left alive. And then the Israelites went to the abandoned camp and they looted it. And they gave Judith the tent of Holofernes, all of his silver, uh, his drinking bowls, and all his furniture. Good. (laughs) 
She took this and loaded up her mule and harnessed her carts and heaped everything into them and took it home. Good for her. (laughs) She made out well. Yeah. All the silver. Yeah. And then all the women began to dance in Judith's honor and all the men began to sing for her. And then Judith herself began to sing. It's kind of a long song, but I pulled out my favorite little bit of it. Sure. For their hero did not fall at the young men's hands. It was not the sons of Titans struck him down. No proud giants made that attack, but Judith, the daughter of Mariae, who disarmed him with the beauty of her face. She laid aside her widow's dress to raise up those who were oppressed in Israel. She anointed her face with perfume, bound her hair under a turban, put on a linen gown to seduce him. Her sandal ravished his eye. Her beauty took his soul prisoner and the scimitar cut through his neck. The Persians trembled at her boldness. The Medes were daunted by her daring. These were struck with fear when my lowly ones raised the war cry. These were seized with terror when my weak ones shouted. And when they raised their voices, these gave ground. Cool. Right? Isn't that epic? (laughs) Super epic. And all the Israelites celebrated for three months. Good for them. (laughs) They had earned it. Yeah. And then they went on and they lived the rest of their days in peace. Judith had many suitors, but she didn't need no man. No. (laughs) So she lived her life single as a widow, as a respected member of the community. In her later years, she freed her maid who had been so loyal and helpful in her plan. And she died at the age of 105 and was buried next to her husband. Aww. How sweet. Yeah. What a badass lady. Isn't she cool? She's so cool. <laughs> that is my favorite book of the Bible. I love it. <laughs> it's also just like, it's so narrative and like... Yeah, it's a good story. Yeah. It's very fun to read. Mm-hmm. I like it a lot. <laughs> Even if Jerome got weird about it later. He did. It's fine. He was sleepy. He was very sleepy. <laughs> Poor Jerome. Yeah, I don't know what he was doing. Yeah. I'm telling you, bad uses for a time machine. <laughs> Just slapping Jerome awake. He's being like, Jerome, go to bed. You can finish in the morning. Yeah. Great. Well, let's take a break and then we'll come back for some fun. Sounds good. And we're back. And now it is time for the patronage pop quiz, where I tell Shannon about a saint and she has to guess what they're the patron of. I didn't do super great last week, so let's hope I do better this week. Last week was hard. Yeah. But this week, we have our second super awesome lady. Yeah, I was hoping this would happen. Oh, yeah. Who's our super awesome lady saint? Our awesome lady saint is St. Francis Xavier Cabrini. Cool. She was born July 15th, 1850, on a farm in Lombardy, Italy. Cool. So she's a little newer. She is. She's pretty recent history. Cool. Her name was originally Maria Francesca Cabrini, and she was the youngest of 13 children, but only three of her siblings lived past childhood. She herself struggled with poor health for most of her life. From a young age, she was very dedicated to religious work. She received a convent education at a school run by the Daughters of the Sacred Heart, and she graduated with honors and received a teaching certificate. Great! When she was 18, she wanted to join the Daughters of the Sacred Heart, but was turned down because of her health. Okay. Instead, a priest asked her to teach at the House of Providence Orphanage in Catagonio, Italy. All right. 
She taught there for six years and inspired many young women to pursue a religious vocation. In 1877... But she's still not a nun. She's still not a nun at this point. She's still too sick to be a nun. Yes. I'm getting there. Okay. It's just weird to me that you can be too sick to be a nun. I mean, it's like, especially if you're trying to do missionary work. I suppose that's true. (laughs) I just feel like if you're sick but really want to dedicate your life to God. We are getting there. Okay. (laughs) Okay. All right. So she inspires a bunch of women to a religious vocation. In 1877, she was able to take bows. Great. Literally in the next sentence. <laughs> okay. I'm sorry. I just got hung up on this. At this point, she added Xavier to her name in honor of St. Francis Xavier. Cool. So when the orphanage closed, she and six other women were asked by the bishop to found the Missionary Sisters of the Sacred Heart to care for poor children in schools and hospitals. And Francis wrote the rule and constitution for the Religious Institute. For its first five years... The institute was able to establish seven homes and a free school and nursery. Frances wanted to expand her work to China, but Pope Leo XIII told her, not to the east, but to the west. Interesting. He urged her to go to the United States to help the growing population of Italian immigrants. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah. And she arrived in New York City on March 31st, 1889 with the six other sisters. When they got there, they found that the building that they had expected to use for the orphanage was no longer available, and the archbishop told them to go home to Italy. Francis refused, and she convinced the archbishop to let them stay. He relented and found them housing with the Sisters of Charity. They were finally able to open up an orphanage in West Park, New York, now known today as the St. Cabrini Home. Oh, cool. Francis became well-known for both her strong faith and her great administrative abilities. Love that. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> Over the next 35 years, she dedicated her life to caring for the poor, uneducated, abandoned, and sick, especially among Italian immigrants. She went on to found 67 institutions. Wow. Right? Including hospitals, schools, and orphanages. And they were located all over the U.S. in places like New York, Colorado, and Illinois. In 1909, she became a U.S. citizen. And she died on December 22nd, 1917, in Chicago from malaria. Oof. Yeah. Right about the time for that. Yeah. She was originally buried at the St. Cabrini home, but was exhumed in 1931 as part of the canonization process. Her head is preserved in Rome. At the Missionary Sisters of the Sacred Heart International Motherhouse. Sure. The rest of her body is at a shrine in New York. Except for one arm, which is at a shrine here in Chicago. Cool. In 1938, she became the first U.S. citizen to be canonized. Wow, that's cool. Yeah. And if you're curious, her miracles that are attributed to her. Yeah. They are restoring the sight to a child who was blinded with silver nitrate. Okay. And healing a terminally ill member of her congregation. Cool. Quality miracles. And I don't know, did, did her last name ring any bells for you? Cabrini Green. Yeah. Half of, half of the name Cabrini Green, the public housing project in Chicago, is named for her. Ah. The other half is named for a dude named William Green. There you go. That's so cool. Yeah. What another awesome lady. Yeah, very cool. And a local connection, which yeah. is neat. I like that. Though, she has a much better reputation than Cabrini Green. Yeah. Yikes. <laughs> True. 
Well, I guess I have to guess what she's the patron of now. Yes. What <laughs> is... Sorry, I was just dwelling in that moment of, isn't she nice? We were really just, like, really <laughs> captivated by her for a second. So, Shannon, what is St. Francis Xavier Cabrini the patron of? Is she the patron saint of orphans? You got it! I did it! <laughs> <laughs> I was hoping I could get that. Yeah, hers actually all makes sense. It's like orphans and hospitals and hospital workers and missionaries and immigrants and things. Her list is patron against malaria. Great. Uh, for hospital administrators, immigrants, migrants, and orphans. Cool. Yeah. Uh, that all makes total sense for once. <laughs> You know, the the more modern ones tend to make a little more sense. That's true. They didn't have to throw, like, sheep herders or against shipwrecks or whatever in there, too. Well, also, people just decided to attribute certain things to different people, and yeah. it just kind of happened over the years. Yeah. The more modern ones, it's like, oh, we have a reason for this. Yeah. That makes sense. It wasn't just John down the street had, got a, had a miracle when he prayed to this saint. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. <laughs> Oh, John down the street. And we had to base our miracles on ancient writings. Yeah. Also that. But boy, I'm glad we did. Yep. Got plenty of cool ones that way. (laughs) And some weird ones. (laughs) Thank you, everybody, so much for listening. If you're enjoying the show, go on iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcasts and give us a rating or review. Be sure you subscribe on those apps so that you can get our episodes right when they come out on Friday mornings. If you want to reach out to us directly, you are welcome to shoot us an email at sundayschoolforheathens at gmail.com. Tweet at us at school number four heathens or go on our Facebook page, school number four heathens, and send us a like, write us a comment. You can reach out to us there as well. Thank you so much to Adam Griffin for our music. You can find more of his stuff at alteringgravity.wordpress.com. And thank you so much to David Griffin for our editing and also for our awesome logo, which is going to be shown on a TV show that Brian was on. We talked about that last episode, but look out for David's logo there and look on our social for more information about Brian's TV appearance. Amen? Amen. Go in peace to like and share the pod. 